You are entering the Freedom Hut. It's a super duper Tuesday here in the Freedom Hut, my friends. The Democrats have fallen in line in the establishment behind Biden. Bernie Sanders looking like he could be the subject of an anti-Bernie coup, according to the president. Plus, what happened to Chris Matthews? He dropped the mic on his show. And we've got updates on coronavirus, that and more coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know the you know the thing. We hold these truths to be so four score and something something blah 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 etc etc. Call me some guy to start off a very famous novel. You know, there's just some things that most people know that. Oh, by the way, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. <laughs> I got so caught up in in Sleepy Joe that I forgot for a second what we were doing here. That was one of my favorites of all time. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created by the, you know, you know, the thing. The thing they're created by. You know, seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on my uncle's ranch. Step into my office, Joe Biden says. Yep, that's that's who the Democrats want to put in charge of the country because he's so much smarter and wiser and has so much more to offer than Donald Trump, they tell us. Yep, this is where we are here on Super Duper Tuesday. It's super. It's going to be quite a day, folks. We're going to see by the end of it whether Bernie or Biden is the presumptive Democrat nominee. I I emphasize presumptive because who knows at this point. And yes, I know, before some of you point out, Buck, you've been saying it won't be Biden, it won't be Biden, and now the betting odds have it that it will be Biden. But, you know, folks, at at least I'll own up to it. Everyone thought they, they learned a lesson from 2016, which is don't make any predictions. The lesson I learned from 2016 is, eh, Make predictions. Everyone gets them wrong. <laughs> Everybody's wrong sometimes. So, but I might not be wrong. I I still hold out hope that Biden won't be the nominee. Just so I'll be right. And I, I can't imagine that 2016. Uh, well, that that the 2020 election is anything other than essentially a replay of the 2016 election, except that you've had. Well, well, we'll we'll see where the economy is. There's there's legitimate concern about it right now. I'm not as concerned as a lot of other people. I'll tell you this, man. I I've been I've been buying the dip, as they say. I, I think that this is uh, this crisis right now, in terms of the fear. It's one thing to take something seriously, right? It's another thing to be terrified because of it. I, I think that there's a lot of reason that the media is pushing this to be even worse in our minds than it will be in reality. People are on this. We understand this. Um, my big contention here is that the number of cases, the the, tr- the reason we're so, there are two reasons we're so scared about coronavirus right now. And I know I'm, I wanted to do more politics right now than coronavirus, but just the, the two reasons people are more scared about coronavirus than they would be about uh, the flu, even though the flu has killed over 10,000 people, 
and caused 180,000 hospitalizations in America this flu season. I think it's in, it's important to have that as a, as a baseline of our understanding of disease and the risk that it poses for the public, particularly at-risk populations, the elderly, immunosuppressed, and the very young. Because if, let's say, coronavirus gets to the point where there are a, a few thousand people who die this season from coronavirus, which I think is highly possible, let's keep in mind that that's not a pandemic of world-changing proportions that's going to shatter the U.S. economy. And and so there's the concern. Uh, the, the concern right now is being heightened because of the mortality fear and the fact that we don't know as much about this. The mortality fear, I think, is not nearly as... Uh, I, I think we're going to find out there are many more cases than we realize and so that denominator for the fraction of mortality, how many people are, are how many people have died as a result of this disease versus how many people have contracted the disease, I think the, the denominator is going to be much bigger or is much, even if we never really figure it out, especially given that there's a long incubation period and people don't show symptoms um, over that period. And some people have very mild or even asymptomatic cases. Well, how, how are we going to know how many people have come into contact with this if there are any asymptomatic cases of it? So that's that's where I think this is going. I know I just told you before predictions. Everybody's got one, but uh, I don't think there's any cause for the, uh, the cause for alarm. There's cause for preparation and vigilance. Those are not the same thing. Okay, but back back to Joe Biden. Uh, all men created equal by you know, you know the thing. Yeah, we know Joe. The question is, do you know Joe Biden? And then he had another great one here. This is just remember that the Biden gaps are nothing new. And maybe for those of us who think that he's too old and I do see some conservatives that are claiming publicly they think that this is the onset of dementia or, or, or senility. Um, keep in mind, Biden has been saying a lot of very dumb stuff for a very long time. And this is nothing really new for him. It's just the way that this was reported on in the past was when he was the vice president for Obama, it was, oh, it's Uncle Joe. He's just being Joe. They they had this way of making it all seem almost affable that Biden was uh, often sounded like a bumbling fool. Uh, so that was what they did. They covered for him during the Obama years whenever he said something particularly dumb we all remember the, you know, put y'all back in chains comment he made. I mean, he's there's a lot of stuff that you go, whoa, Joe Biden, uh, what are you doing here? Uh, but here's another example of exactly that. Uh, Producer Mark, play clip four, please. Look, tomorrow's Superstar Tuesday, and I want to thank you all. I tell you what, I'm rushing ahead, aren't I? Tomorrow's Superstar's Tuesday. Now, to be fair. That's just a stumble. Okay, see, I, I'll call it like it is, balls and strikes. That's not some of the other stuff we've seen where we'll say 150 million people have died from gun violence in 10 years in this country. And he just and he says it. And it's like he doesn't know what he's saying. It's like he's memorized lines and doesn't actually understand what he's saying. That, that's a stumble that we could all make. But it's, kind of, it's just kind of funny that you know, Biden is super-duper-duper Thursday. Because, you know, it's made by the, the thing. The thing that's out there that it was made by. So now we go into what's really happening today on Super Tuesday. What is going on before our very eyes? 
President Trump referred to this as an anti-Bernie coup. You have to note the way that these Democrat candidates, they fall in line with 19th century Prussian infantry precision. They do exactly what they are being told to do by the establishment. Democrats love to talk about how, you know, they're a big party with all these ideas and how you know radical some of their positions are, especially now, and, and how they're, uh, you know, they're willing to hear out their own members and all this stuff. But no, actually, there's like this, this power apparatus that they're not going to allow anybody else to seize that. You know, the whole AOC wing and all this. Now, maybe they won't be successful, but they are actively trying to suppress the the up and coming left within the Democratic Party. Now, the Pelosi Schumer wing of the Democrats, which is the leadership and the establishment, the establishment echelon of the Democratic Party. They plan to keep this exactly as it is as long as they can. And and then that's how you have Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Steyer. I mean, Steyer was... Did you see the dancing video? That's all you need to know. You, see, you know, it's like, ooh, man. But Klobuchar uh, dropped out yesterday, I think right after right after I, I did this show, and uh, Buttigieg dropped out before her, and some of them now have already gone forward uh, to give their endorsements. Buttigieg and Klobuchar have already come out to endorse Joe Biden. Uh, that's a very quick turnaround here. Right before Super Tuesday, wouldn't you think if you were one of these candidates, you'd spend all this money, other people's money, with the exception of Bloomberg, and we'll get to Mayor Mike in a minute. Wouldn't you think that you'd want to see how you do on Super Tuesday? No. Look, uh, I, I'm almost envious of the way the Democrats, like the Borg from the Star Trek series, they all act as one when power is at stake. They are like cyborgs that are all running off the same algorithm, an algorithm determined by a lust for power and the abandonment of principle at the first sign of it being any trouble. So that, that part of it, I, I do say Dem I mean, Republicans have something to learn here. Areas where Republicans can learn from Democrats, they take care of their ideological soldiers Oh, remember, remember Marie Yovanovitch? Oh, it's terrible. She had to leave the State Department because she felt like in the Trump era she was unwell blah 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 unwelcome. Seven-figure book deal, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace picks her up, gives her some super cushy position. I'm sure she's making about. I mean, I know think tanks. I used to work at think tanks. She's making 200, 250k to just like show up to some nice office in a fancy building that's a nonprofit and do nothing really. You know, go to a lot of good long lunches and go to some speeches when she feels like it. Oh, Marie Yovanovitch, we're hollowing out the civil service. The Democrats take care of their people. They do much better than conservatives. We're all because because our island of uh, especially in, in media and, you know, our island is so much smaller that we're often at each other's throats. And when somebody else gets voted off the island, a lot of conservatives are like meh, too bad for that person. You know, yeah, I guess. I guess, uh, you know, you, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs, and those conservatives got to get broken. We, we do not take care of our own, and we have defectors when it really counts. We have John McCain's. We have Mitt Romney's. We have people that turn on the party at the absolute most opportune moment for the opposition. Democrats don't have that. They don't. 
Uh, you know, just just think of it. When does that happen? I mean, I'm sure somebody could look up some point in history or time, but didn't happen with Obamacare. You know, didn't happen with uh, you know any of the major political controversies of the of the Trump administration. The Democrats are all together. The only exceptions I would note are when you have a Democrat who really should be a Republican, but a Democrat who's in a very red state will be allowed to break ranks when it doesn't matter. So it's a show vote. That's the only. So don't don't tell me about like Mansion with Kavanaugh, for example. Mansion, West Virginia, was allowed by the party establishment to vote to to keep Kavanaugh because at that point it was already clear that it was going Kavanaugh's way, and seventy percent of West Virginians wanted Kavanaugh to be confirmed. So they don't want to give up that Senate seat, and they knew. So that that's a different thing. But when it really matters, Democrats are. Locked and loaded on the same side, and Republicans have people who are like, "Oh, I stand on principle. I don't like Trump's mean tweet. It was really mean that tweet he put out." Well, what about the policy that will affect hundreds of millions of your fellow Americans? Doesn't that matter more? No, the tweet. Never Trump. Hashtag Never Trump. Okay, that's great. Good job. So now we have the establishment versus Bernie. Bernie's going to run the table in California, or, I mean, he's going to do very, very well in California. He's going to beat Biden in Texas. Those are the states where have the biggest delegate halls. He's going to struggle in the South and the Southeast. Uh, he's hoping to do really well in the big blue states. Well, I, I would note that you'd think that the guy who wins California, if you're a Democrat, isn't shouldn't that pretty much be the Democrat nominee? I mean, isn't that the best bellwether of anything in a sense? But... And we'll, we'll see what they end up doing here. It's very likely that nobody will get more than half of the overall Democrat delegates going into the convention, which does mean that there's going to be it's going to be an interesting DNC convention this July in Milwaukee. I don't think it'll be quite what it was in 1968 in Chicago. Violence in the streets. And that was a that was a different time. But it's going to be pretty crazy because crazy Bernie fans are not going to like it. They're going to feel like he's gotten. He's gotten uh, this stolen from him for the second time. And then you look at the way that the party has been able to just call upon the discipline of other Democrats to step aside and clear clear the lane for Biden. That's what they are doing. And then the takeaway for Democrats is, oh, we learned the lesson of 2016 Trump. It's like, what? what? The lesson of Trump in 2016 was let the process play out. And whoever the person that win, you know the person that wins can then possibly unite the entire party behind him, which Trump has done, and enact policies that the party has wanted for a very long time and that has it has consistently supported. So that's no, no, no. Democrats are doing the opposite of what Republicans did in 2016. Democrats are having the apparatus come in and clear out the rest of the field so that Biden has a better shot. This would have been like if Kasich and Rubio and, you know, whoever else early on had bailed so that Ted Cruz had a better shot against Donald Trump. I do think that that would have, you know, we can't run that experiment now. Certainly would have made things a lot easier for Ted, who does look much better with a beard. You know, he respects my beard. I respect his beard. I think we both made good choices there. Uh, But I think that Ted realized he had a very crowded field and that was a difficult a difficult environment when you have such a when you had such a solid base of Trump support early on, and Trump support now, of course, is greatly expanded 
by the success of the administration. So Democrats think that they just think Trump is bad. Therefore, the lesson that they take is, oh, wow, we can't allow what happened to the Republican Party to happen to us. We got to stop Bernie. It's like, wait, but we don't think Trump is bad. So you're, they're taking the wrong lesson from it. They're taking the wrong lesson from this. And we see them telling their members, you got to let sleepy Joe Biden get a, get a leg up here on Bernie Sanders. That's what has to happen. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Politics at its best is more than policy. It's soul craft. And so it's fitting that I am joining to support a campaign that speaks so often about the soul of this nation. I don't believe the world is divided up into people who are all good and people who are all bad. I don't believe that how you voted in the past makes you good or bad. I believe that each of us can have good things and bad things brought out of us. And that's why leadership is so important. I'm looking for a leader. I'm looking for a president who will draw out what is best in each of us. And I'm encouraging everybody who is part of my campaign to join me because we have found that leader in vice president, soon to be president, Joe Biden. Exactly as the DNC would want him to say it. Got to give Joe Biden credit. After a fourth place finish in, what was it, Iowa, fifth place finish in New Hampshire. I mean, dismal stuff early on. He knew that he's the he's the pick of the media. He's the pick of the people that are behind the scenes at the DNC, a return to Obamaism, a return to a national normal. The narrative is there. It's in place. All Joe Biden has to do is show up. He can be a buffoon. He can sound like a moron. Nobody cares. The people that want Joe Biden, they just want a vessel for the Democratic Party and its power. It doesn't matter who it is. And Joe, Joe has, you know, the the story and the resume that they want. The resume just being that he was Obama's vice president for eight years and a senator forever. And is now super rich. Never really created a product, but super rich anyway. And uh, Mayor Pete's not the only one. We got some other endorsements from uh, former, recently former Democrat nominees. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is up to us, all of us, to put our country back together, to heal this country, and then to build something even greater. I believe we can do this together. And that is why today I am ending my campaign and endorsing Joe Biden for president. Ending right before Super Tuesday? Only reason to do this if you're a candidate is to help Joe Biden. That's the only reason. You know, you've already you've already spent the money. You've done the fundraising. You've done the organizing. You've got your campaign volunteers out there. There's actually some pretty sad photos making the rounds on social media of Klobuchar volunteers who were getting ready to do a rally for her. And then they got the word. Yeah, I'm sure they got the word maybe from an email from someone in the campaign, but they might have just seen it on the news. Who knows that that Klobuchar is done and they are walking up to uh, uh, walking up to garbage cans and throwing out their signs and stuff. Womp, womp. You, know, you got to figure, why not just see how you do on Super Tuesday and then and then pull up? Well, because people that the entire the entire Hillary Clinton apparatus out there, uh, you know, that which, you know, the DNC is still very much, they're still very enthralled to Hillary. I don't think they're not. You know, Obama's the most popular Democrat in the country still. But Hillary is really the most connected Democrat still because she she can't. I think I, I actually think Obama's pretty happy 
making tens of millions of dollars and everywhere he, you know, being able to hang out with any celebrity he wants, everywhere he goes, people think he's amazing. Like, I, I think he's, he likes that. I think, I mean, Hillary never got the, Obama got the big job. Hillary never got the big job. So she still has that, that fire to, to be connected and, and to want to play. I would, you know, I'd say she wants to play Kingmaker, but she really wants to play Queenmaker. Because we know that if she had an opportunity, and you are going to see, I think, uh, people that will be talking more about Hillary Clinton vice president under Joe Biden. I know it's crazy, but people will talk about that and say, well, she's old. He's old. Uh, uh, Apparently, age doesn't matter anymore. Apparently, no one really cares that Joe Biden is already at the upper ceiling, I think, of U.S. life expectancy, and we're asking him to be president of the United States for eight years. Uh, that's that's a big ask for somebody of those years. But remember, Biden is the youngest of the male Democrat presidential contenders at this point. He is younger than Bloomberg and Bernie. Bernie is basically 80 years old and just had a heart attack this year or in the last 12 months. And we're told, yeah, he's up for this. He's and he won't release his medical records. And we're told, yeah, he's up for this. Sure. Sure. He is, guys. Democrats will say whatever they have to say at this point. Any anything but Trump, anyone but Trump. That's the idea. Um, Oh, by the way, uh, you also have. Some people that you haven't heard from in a little while who just like want you to know that like Biden is going to fill the country's hearts with his heart because he's got so much heart and he wants to just like bring us all together and give like a really intense like like if I was like running a a, a grunge band in the 90s and then I was going to be a political candidate like who would I be oh we all know who you'd be Blake Lip 21 producer Mark he's back in the mix On behalf of every one of the 254 counties of this great state, we welcome Dr. Jill Biden and Vice President Joe Biden, el próximo presidente de los Estados Unidos, aquí con nosotros este momento. Ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow, March 3rd, 2020, I will be casting my ballot for Joe Biden. Beto's back, everybody. He's casting his vote for Joe Biden. Yeah. Wild Stallions. He does remind me of Keanu a little bit back in the day. I'm kind of a Keanu fan. I actually think the John Wick movies are pretty, they're ridiculous, but entertaining. I like them. Uh, So we got a whole bunch of Democrats lined up here in support of Joe Biden right at the critical moment. To resurrect his flailing campaign, the Bernie people have got to be like, what the heck is going on here? Because not only do you have these prominent Democrats plus Beto, not only do you have them coming forward to lend their support to Joe Biden, you also have them going out of their way to make sure that everybody knows that Bernie is not a good idea. Um... Here's Amy Klobuchar on that front. Play 22, please. 
Um, I'm friends with Bernie. We came in together. But as I said many times on the debate stage, I don't think we should have a socialist heading up our ticket. And I think we have to have someone, as one prominent Democrat said, who is actually listening to where the American people are. That prominent Democrat was Barack Obama. He said it a few months ago, that we should pay attention to where they are. I don't think they want to kick 149 million Americans off their current health insurance. They're all going in against Bernie. Isn't it so interesting how many of these candidates now Klobuchar is not one of them, but some of these candidates, Beto O'Rourke, uh, they, they were going hard left in the primary, which meant they were going closer and closer to Bernie to try to get traction for themselves. But then when all said and done, when it's time to cast their votes and throw their support behind someone, guess what? They go with the pick of the establishment. They go with the ultimate uh, well, of the current field, the ultimate D.C. insider, Joe Biden. Not surprised. We shouldn't be surprised at all by this and running around saying that Bernie Sanders is a socialist, which he is. I'll note that in the last few weeks, you'll see people who have been on TV saying, oh, he's not Bernie Sanders. is not really a socialist. You know, he's like a he's just like got some socialist morals and ethics, but he's not like a socialist when it comes to the economy. They were trying to trying to shift things a little bit so that if they ended up being stuck with Bernie, they weren't going to have to just outright defend a socialist all the time, although it wasn't going to work because we were going to have, you know, Trump was going to be like, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a socialist. He's a socialist. Uh, but they were trying that. Now they're walking away from it and they're they're trashing. They're not just supporting Biden. They're going specifically after Bernie publicly, which I think is a very, a very telling thing that they're. Uh, perhaps going to get something out of this. President Trump himself raised this at a rally as a possibility. The quid, the pro, and the quo. What is it here? Play it, Producer Mark. It's rigged against Bernie, but maybe he'll pull it through. It was rigged against me four years ago, and I pulled it through. I think it's rigged against Bernie. Uh, you see what's happening with Klobuchar. Just, I heard just some, something happened there, and... Yeah, yeah. Well, he just Buttigieg just went out and said something, and probably they'll say, "Hey, look, if I win, I'll put you in the administration." That's called quid pro quo, right? Quid pro quo. And they probably said, "Hey, listen, uh, if I win, I'll give you an endorsement, but will you take me in the administration?" Now, I'm sure, like I'm sure, nothing like that has ever happened, right? But that's the way it seems to go. But no, it's rigged against Bernie. There's no question about it. Sounds like it's a little bit unfair. Does sound a little bit unfair, doesn't it? But Democrats don't care about fair process. They want a result, a result that puts their people, their ideas in a position of power so they can have the implementation of the agenda that they want. It doesn't matter how they get there, as we know. And if they don't get there, they'll claim the process was rigged against them and was unfair. So that there are no rules that Democrats respect. There's only an outcome that they that they demand. If they don't get that outcome, they're going to be particularly upset about things. Uh, you also got somebody else in the mix, though. A champion arises. Mayor Bloomberg, who's spent up to five hundred million dollars, I believe, at this point, to spend five hundred million dollars and have to abandon your candidacy after Super Tuesday 
would seem to be quite an quite, see. I like this because it's really an experiment that tests this story that you hear from people all the time. Democrats love to say money in our elections. They talk about citizens. They don't even know the Citizens United case. They don't know what it was about. They don't know what it would have banned if they if the Obama government had gotten its way. Uh, but they just you know money in politics, money in politics. Republicans are fat cats and corporations and money. This is just, it's sloganeering. They might as well be saying, Dick Cheney, Halliburton, this brainless, mindless stuff. If Mike Bloomberg spends $500 million and does not become even a really viable candidate on the Democrat side at that point, doesn't that then prove that it's not just money? So can we stop hearing stupid pundits and whiny Democrat politicians always saying, oh, the Republicans, money in politics, special interests. They have an ultra billionaire on the left trying to buy buy his way into the presidency as much as one can. And the point is, you can't buy your way into the presidency. People vote. They like you. They don't. That's it. Doesn't doesn't matter how much money you're throwing around. You can't actually do it. And how is uh, how is uh, it's so tough with all these B's, Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg. You know, they get mixed up in, in my head sometimes. Um Bloomberg is out there trying to make a last stand here, and he's going after his opponents, understandably. And he, for example, says what everybody should know at this point. I mean, this should be entirely unsurprising. And and yet, if you said this to, say, like the, the group that I spoke to out in California on Bill Maher's show, you know, I did say that Bernie was basically crazy. And they're like, no, he's not. And he's amazing. And it's like, no, Bernie's crazy. OK, his ideas are irresponsible. His ideas would not work. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's dumb. This is dumb Marxist crap from a guy who's never done anything of any importance in his life other than spew this stuff that when you hear it in college, intelligent people go, yeah, that sounds interesting. It's not how the real world works. Bernie never got to the real world, the real world, uh, real world understanding of things. Bernie has always been continuing on in this fantasy. And Bloomberg, as much as he's been annoying me lately, and I used to be somebody that, you know, I didn't like Bloomberg on stuff. He's terrible on guns. He's bad on the nanny state. But I always thought of him as a competent administrator and a pretty smart guy. He's been annoying me lately. So he's been losing points. Uh, and that's just a New York thing. Just got thought he was a good. And I, I technically worked for him at one point, although he would not know me. It's not like I worked in his office or anything. Uh, but here's what he says about Sanders. And I think it's important that Democrats hear this. Play clip five. You have to convince a Democratic convention not to go with Bernie Sanders and to go with you. That you would have to do that. That is correct. But how do you do that to a Democratic? You, you say to them that, number one, Sanders cannot get elected in this country because he cannot bring over moderates from the other side. He won't even keep all the moderates on the Democratic side. Some will go over to Trump. And uh, so he, he's not electable. And number two, his ideas are crazy. I mean, his plan on in, uh, health insurance would be triple our total debt. He would triple our total debt. Right now, this country owes $20 trillion. We're going to add another trillion to it this year because we're running a deficit. His health care plan would add 20 or 30, and I've heard a number, $40 trillion more over 10 years. We just can't afford that, and the public doesn't want that kind of change. Notice how he understands the numbers. Bernie Sanders pretends the numbers don't matter. Sanders keeps telling people they'll get more than what they pay. Well, 
the only way that that could be possible would be if, and it's, by the way, that's never going to be true, but even theoretically, it would mean that you'd have to be willing to just add trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in the national debt. And the, the problem, I mean, the nightmare scenario for the American economy, for our financial system, is we reach that point where people no longer believe in the government's ability to pay the debts that it has, where you have a rise of interest rates. I know they just cut they just cut rates in response to coronavirus, but you have a rise of, of interest rates that occurs. And if we lose our, uh, our position as the global reserve currency, we're dealing in a very different global economy at that point, and America is not going to be in this position of dominance. And we might go through some very, very painful years, perhaps even a, a painful decade or two as a result of it. It'll be a, the great reset that many still, you know, you can see from Dr. Ron Paul, among others. They're, they've been warning that we're heading toward this. Bernie Sanders, it's it's like we're on, you know, we're, we're on a boat that's going to go over the waterfall. And Bernie Sanders is in that rowboat and he's like, let's go faster as quick as possible over the edge. That's his economic plan. It's insane. And Bloomberg is right and he knows that. Yet it's Bloomberg who, the guy who speaks, if you speak sense in this Democratic Party today, if you're honest about the realities of the government's ability to pay for this or that, if you know what is realistic and what's not, you're actually, that's a liability. That's a problem. Democrats want, they want two things, promises that are, there's no way they're going to be kept. And there's certainly not going to be anything near what they say they will be if they do try to keep them and hatred of Trump. That's all it is. That is what the Democratic Party offers you. There's nothing, there's nothing else that is better. There's Trump hatred and there's crazy ideas like Crazy Bernie has that aren't going to be fulfilled. What is Joe? Here's a here's a fun question. What does Joe Biden even stand for? I stand for, you know, this country I love and, you know, the thing and the place and, uh, you know, my legs with the blonde hair and and corn pop. What is what does Joe Biden stand for? He stands for whatever. Whatever he has to stand for at any point in time to get reelected or get elected, that's what Joe Biden stands for. He is, in a sense, the quintessential politician, the ultimate politician. It's just, what do you need me to be? That's the, what, is it, what does the Democrat Party need me to be? That's what I'll be. When has he ever stood against the Democratic Party on anything? When has he taken a contrarian view? When has the guy had an original thought? But yeah, sure, let's make him president. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We got through everything we got through. They gave us the Mueller hoax. They gave us the Russia, Russia, Russia crap. They get us the one phone call that was a perfect phone call. Oh, let's get him out of office for that phone call. But, you know, the Republicans stuck together, except Romney, of course, you know, right? Low life. Except Romney, they stuck together. And even him, I got half a vote, so, you know. See, I say, I think it's because he did actually vote one pie. He couldn't do it all, you know, because he wanted to get some nice free publicity for himself. Yeah, that Romney vote, everybody. Well, what really was the lesson there? Lesson was that humility, even from those of us who follow politics very, very closely, is necessary in this game because... I thought Mitt Romney, based on what I could see, I didn't know him. I've actually never interviewed Mitt. Uh, Mitt struck me as an honorable guy who wanted to do the right thing, and he fooled a lot of people because 
Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney went out like a punk on that whole Trump situation. He really did, like a jerk. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're working very hard to expedite the longer process of developing a vaccine. We're also moving with maximum speed to develop uh, therapies so that uh, we can help people recover as quickly as possible. We have a lot of recovery going on. We want to see if we can advance that. It's likely that therapies will be available before a vaccine is actually ready and we'll seek to bring all effective treatments to market as soon as possible. Some very good work has been done on the vaccine, however, they have some good progress, and you'll be able to ask a couple of questions of the folks here. We're also working with Congress to ensure that America has what it needs to respond to this challenge. It's a great challenge, but everybody's responding very well. Since the start of the outbreak, my administration has taken the most aggressive action in history to protect our citizens, including closing our borders very early, a lot earlier than people wanted us to do. And that turned out to be a good decision. I ordered sweeping travel restrictions, increased travel advisory levels, established screening measures, and imposed historic quarantines. Uh, we have quarantines all over the country, a lot of them. I just wanted to play that for you because you have been hearing, I'm sure, from various Democrats and left-wing pundits and journos that Trump says it's a hoax and he has no plan. How can any human being with a functioning brain think that that's an intelligent thing to say? He certainly has a plan. The plan is being enacted. And you would not enact a plan on this scale if you really thought that this was a hoax. Of course, he doesn't think it's a hoax, but the, the, the truth doesn't matter to people who hate Trump. Everything is an opportunity to bash Trump. That's all that matters, even when we're facing a pandemic that has people really scared. Now, I, I keep saying I think that it's not it's it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I don't think it's going to be as bad as some are projecting. When you hear healthcare professionals, people and, and people at the top of the you know federal uh, health emergency preparedness apparatus, CDC, NIH, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, I remember we, we I did an interview with him maybe two years ago. We're talking about flu season and how people don't realize how bad flu season is. And I've been somebody worried about a pandemic for a long time. I think this is an area where we should have we should have more research done. You know, I think it should be. This is just my 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 personal feeling on this. We should be embarrassed. Humanity should be embarrassed at this point that we don't have a cure for the common cold. Like we can't figure this out. Think of all the things we knew. We can't cure the common cold. We don't have some way of shutting that down. We just accept that everybody, by the way, that's not a minor thing. Billions and billions and billions of dollars a year of productivity lost because of that. So, and I'm somebody who also thinks that it would be interesting to put out uh, bounties for cures for things. I mean, I think that'd be worthwhile. And we're paying seven or eight billion dollars a year to the CDC. You know, if somebody could come up with a cure for the common cold, it would be worth it for humanity, for productivity, for all of us. You know, give them a five billion dollar bounty on that one, three billion dollar bounty, whatever it is. You know, whatever you think would actually get it done. Because now we see who do we turn to to cure this and to treat this? Everyone's saying, oh, the CDC, the CDC. Yeah, they do good research. They're important. They they look at this stuff. But who do we think is really going to be? Uh, who are going to be the ones that? cure if it's possible or vaccinate us with something that will prevent the transmission of coronavirus pharmaceutical companies wait a second president trump had a meeting 
with the big big pharma representatives yesterday, and all, all I hear from Democrats all the time about how terrible the pharmaceutical companies are. I keep hearing about how they're so awful, and all they do is gouge people, and there's no, there's nothing nothing to be praised about. And we, and, and we legitimately there's a lot of criticism level that. You know, Purdue Pharma and some of these companies that were putting OxyContin and other opioids out there, that's a separate issue. And that, that does deserve a lot of a, a lot of accountability still. But in terms of treating diseases, the president's bringing in the biggest uh, the biggest pharma company executives saying, hey, guys, what can you do for us here? You know, we often forget that we, we, we have won wars because of the private sector. Right. I mean, yeah, the government mobilizes the military, but it is actually our ability to to produce at a high level. It is our it is our productivity as a nation that has been uh, has been so critical in our success and some of the most important endeavors we've had, including fighting wars. And and now we see dealing with a, a war on a pandemic, which is what we're really facing. Trying to come up with a way to prevent this from being a disease that. Yeah, could this end up killing hundreds of thousands of people in this country over the course of the next 12 to 18 months? It absolutely could. I don't think that will happen, but I don't know. Nobody knows. You know, I like to tell you that when it's true. Nobody really knows. Dr. Fauci and others at the NIH and the CDC, they're trying to take the most, they want the greatest degree of precaution, and they want people to be in the mindset of preparing for the worst scenario. So don't expect them to go out and be like, yeah, we're all going to be okay. Trump takes a little more of the, hey, it's going to be all right. Let's everybody calm down about this a little bit. Um, we're, we're on this. We're going to do the best we can with this. And, you know, that's why the the politicization of this that's occurring is just, you know, I, I guess we have to expect this from Democrats. We're not supposed to think that they're any better than this, that there's any, they're any more ethical than this. Nonetheless, it's... It's pretty gross when you hear it. I mean, we, we pulled this together for you. Producer Mark, play, uh, play clip 20. Here's how Democrats talk about the, about the Trump administration responding to coronavirus. Play 20. We have a crisis of coronavirus, and President Trump has no plan. What, what he's doing is late, too late, anemic. Mr. Trump is late. As soon as this virus started cropping up elsewhere in the world, we should have been on top of it. Do you trust and should Americans trust President Trump to deal with this crisis? No. This is an administration that does not believe in science. And so I'm not surprised that uh, he's completely uh, clueless. Look, the president we know is not a scientist, and that's a nice way to put it. He doesn't even believe in science. This president hasn't allowed his scientists to speak the idea that the experts are not allowed to speak. The president has silenced them, Dr. Fauci. I'm not being muzzled. I was cleared here, and here I am talking to you, and I'll give you the whole truth the way I always have. You know, that last one, that's Fauci obviously saying that he hasn't been muzzled. I, I just, I had to deal with that idiocy on the Bill Maher show where everyone was laughing about how Pence won't let Fauci say anything. And I said, no, that's not true. And everyone just, ah, you know, the hyena, the hyena squad there, the crowd of, you know, of trained seals all clapping for oh Trump's so bad Trump's so I I guess people really have no shame at their own stupidity as long as they think they're on the right team nothing matters to them the the facts the truth nothing matters it's all just owning Trump make sure you trash Trump at every possible opportunity uh, it's really hard to miss 
the way the rebound in the markets. Now, you know, the markets are just a, a gauge of sentiment, and it's not, you know, it's not like the stock market does really well for a day or two. We don't have to worry about coronavirus anymore. But if you look at what has happened here, last week, the plunging markets, you know, Paul Krugman, Dow, 25,000. He was all excited about it. The plunging markets were viewed as a sign that Trump's not so good on the economy, that he's not in control of coronavirus, that everything is going to crap. And you know the markets dropped what three three thousand points in the Dow, uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, and then you come back this week, and in one day, the markets came back almost fifty percent what they dropped last week. That was yesterday, and just by way of comparison, when the three thousand point you know drop had finished on last week, front page in the New York Times, Washington Post. Do you think that either of those newspapers yesterday had on their front page prominent coverage of the Dow recovering? 50% in one day. Nope. Now, why do we think that is? Do we think that there was an honest discussion in the editorial room there at the Washington Post, the New York Times, where they're like, you know, you know, it's a big story when the market goes down. When the market rockets back up, though, that's just not really something people need to hear about. Of course not. It's all about creating the negative perception of the administration and allowing Democrats to capitalize on that. And then on page you know, C-17 or something, for those who still read newspapers, uh, that's where they'll put the, oh, yeah, the Dow had a big day today. There's no honesty in this. There, there's no attempt to cover any any of this fairly. One thing that I thought was so, uh, so noteworthy uh, from our perspective is Trump is asked whether or not it's even safe for him to continue to hold rallies. Here's what he said, play nine. Well, these were set up a long time ago, and others are. I mean, you could ask that to the Democrats because they're having a lot of rallies. They're all having rallies. That's what they're doing. They're campaigning. But do you think it's safe? Are you worried at all? Uh, I think it's very safe, yeah. I think it's very safe. I just want to know if journalists are going around asking every Democrat campaigning for the presidency, do you think it's safe? Do you think it's safe to keep doing this? Are you putting the public at risk by doing this? Maybe some of them will ask that question, but they definitely asked Trump. You know, excuse me, sir, are you being reckless by continuing with your political campaigning uh, while this pandemic is occurring? Trump gets that question. I, I just look, if, if I find a Democrat gets asked that question, I'll play that on the show, too. I'm, I'm trying to keep it real here. I'm not trying to, to do what the Democrats do and skew it to one side unnecessarily, unfairly. Uh, but I mean, what, what, what's going to happen here? We're going to have a total shutdown of public life because there's a. There's a, a, a respiratory virus out there with a, at worst, from what we know so far, a 2% fatality, uh, mortality rate. I keep saying fatality. Uh, that's, that's not something that would be in keeping with the resilience of the American people and with, with the way we've approached these situations in the past. Uh, but we just have to wait and see how well the administration is able to handle this. And also, we have to be prepared for the fact that no matter what they do, you've got six people dead in Washington state right now. As I said, over 10,000 have already died from the flu this year. You, you didn't even hear about, hear about that till now, right? No, no one even pays attention. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people die from flu every year in this country. 120 to 150,000 die in accidents every year in this country, okay? I mean, you know, people are... We're, we're losing people left and right. This is just the nature of life. This is what happens. It's a question of how the media, what the media feels is a really important story to cover when it comes to any individual human death. And clearly they're going to tell us about each and every coronavirus 
death as it comes along in this political season because it's just what they do. Look, this is what they do with the military as well. When there is a Republican in office, everybody that comes back from a war zone must be, you know, we must know about it. We must see the photo. And by the way, I have no problem with that whatsoever. We should know the cost of putting our soldiers in harm's way. That's fine. I mean, I think that sometimes the way that, you know, the Democrat media does it is exploitative and wrong. But just as a general rule, I, I do think, you know, we should know every every time we lose somebody, we should know. Did you see that happening when we were losing hundreds of Marines under the Obama administration? Dying in, in, in southern Afghanistan and Helmand province and Kandahar so that Obama could look like a tough guy after he fired the best four star general he had in theater because some members of his staff made fun of Obama not knowing a damn thing about the military? Yeah. There wasn't a lot of coverage. Where was the anti-war movement then? There wasn't a lot of coverage of that. Politicization of military deaths. Democrats do that. And, and you're going to see a grotesque politicization of, of every single death from the coronavirus. You will know about it. You know, they'll probably they'll probably run photographs of the people on the front page of the newspapers. They'll, they want to make it as clear as possible. And not because they care so much about these people. That's just not true. We know this from the way they cover other things. We know this from the lack of interest in, you know, how many people have died from influenza. No, they're going to do it because they view it as a, a body count attributable to Trump. That's what's going to happen. Even though we have to remember, there's only so much the administration can do. Right? They're taking these measures. I, I saw Chuck Schumer tweet, you know, tweeted out this thing of, you know, more funding for the CDC. I got to do this. And I got to. It's all crap. It's not going to stop anyone from getting coronavirus. It's, it's ridiculous. They don't have any good ideas to prevent the spread. They don't have any. Trump's doing all the things that a responsible person, that the, a responsible administration would do. They're just not going to give him any credit for it. And remember this, no matter what, you've seen this with the economy, you've seen this with the way they approach everything with the Trump administration, no matter what the end result here is for the next, let's say, six months, they will claim that this was Trump's Katrina, he fell down on the job, and if there are 200 people that are dead from corona or 2,000 people that are dead from corona at the end of this, doesn't matter, they're going to say, due to Trump's failure, due to his lack of belief in science, which is really the... Of all the anti-Trump talking points, that to me is among the very dumbest. But a lot of people think they're smart when they say it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And when we talk about an agenda for the American people, our campaign does not sweep the important issues under the table. We've got to be honest with the American people, even if they don't agree with us. Now, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, that great and brilliant scientist, after years of intensive study, after reading journal after journal, after turning off Fox TV and studying the issue, he has concluded that climate change is a hoax. Has, uh, you know, has Bernie Sanders wowed us with, with his scientific knowledge? Has Bernie Sanders managed to convince anybody that he has much knowledge of anything other than very rudimentary Marxist theory? And how to be a demagogue, how to be essentially the guy on the street corner that just says, you know, blame other people for all your problems. Don't take personal responsibility for anything. This is easy, by the way. This is not hard. It's not difficult to say those things. I could write all of Bernie Sanders' speeches. 
He doesn't even, he shouldn't even have speechwriters. It's, it's always the same speech. The rich, the millionaires, the billionaires, they're going to take from you. And why can't we have what every other country has? Like, every other country doesn't have it. We don't want to be these other countries. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you just got on the list, like the same thing every time. I've never once heard Bernie Sanders give an answer to any question. I've said, wow, that was really insightful. That, that really makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm impressed by that. Never. And there are Democrats who will say things like, oh, yeah. There's some truth to that, or I understand where they're coming from. Not Bernie Sanders, but on, on this, this question of climate change and climate change being a hoax, I, I think it's, it's pretty uh, – I mean, we've got – this is a side note for many of you. We have this plastic bag ban here that just went into effect in New York, and, and I'm in New York City doing this show. This is so stupid. And I just wish that there was a way that we could have like an open public debate about how – completely, utterly annoying and meaningless and counterproductive this thing is. It does not help the things they think it will help. And it, it's an annoyance now that you have to deal with every day. Every day you will have to deal with this annoyance. In, in New York State, by the way, it's not just New So my folks up in WGY Albany, for example, you guys are going to have this too, and gals. You know, Now when you go to the store, you go, oh, I'm, I'm out of milk. I want to get, oh, well, you better... Better make sure that you pay the five cents that some counties are going to institute for paper bags, too, as if that's going to stop anybody. And now I guess I'm supposed to walk around with a tote bag on my shoulder all the time. Producer Mark, do you even have a tote bag? Like, how are you going to go grocery shopping now? Well, I already have a bunch of reusable bags. Cause You're the, reusable. The town so, I... Reusable sounds manlier. You know, well, that sounds yeah. more like alpha than, than a tote bag. The, the town I live in, live on Long Island in, Long Beach already had a five cent oh my charge gosh. for you, the plastic You live bags. in like Commieville. I know a lot of a lot of nice places are Commieville, though. You know? oh, yeah, it is a nice place. Yeah, but I, I, as I said, I don't mind the reusable bag. I can hold more. You're going to tell me you never have a situation where you're like, I need to get myself a six pack of brewski. And now I can't because uh, I don't have the reusable bag on me. Can't you just carry it with the handle? Okay, maybe you, maybe you need a few six packs. No? All right, I mean you're not gonna put that in a plastic bag though. All right, this is a bad example. This doesn't annoy you. Yeah, I've just realized <laughs> that this doesn't annoy you at all though. This plastic bag bad. Eh. You're not that bad on this one. I'm not that mad. Like I'd be more mad if it was a plastic straw ban. Groucho Mark over here does not care. I don't know what to say about this. The plastic straw ban is insane. And they're still I'm still giving out food, uh, bags with food orders and stuff like that so okay well at least we got that our yeah. chinese food will come in plastic bags yeah. thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts so here is the truth when you listen to the scientists what they tell you is that not only is climate change real and caused by human activity and already causing devastating problems in our country and around the world. What they tell us is they have, in fact, underestimated the severity in which climate change is ravishing the planet. They have underestimated the speed in which the polar ice caps are melting and the oceans are rising. They've underestimated the degree to which the country is seeing more and more drought, more and more extreme weather disturbances. They have according to the United Nations, now believe that if we don't get our act together by the end of this century, there will be hundreds of millions of climate refugees, people who can no longer stay in their communities because there's no water to drink or land to grow their crops. 
this is bonkers, but this is Bernie Sanders, certainly close to, if not the front runner of the Democratic Party right now for the presidential nomination. He's certainly number two. And some would say he's still number one. And I think I think after today, Super Tuesday votes tallied, he's going to be in the top spot. It's a question of what Biden's able to do to catch up to him. Uh, a few things here. Underestimated severity of, climate, of the climate change threat. How can anyone say this? We are told now routinely and repeatedly by the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, by various prominent Democrats, that if we do not take dramatic action on climate change, we will uh, be on a, an extinction path, extinction path as a species by the, what is it, in 12 years, I think they keep saying, or 10, 10 or 12 years, something, whatever. How dare you forget? How dare you? Um, it's terrifying. When You don't want to upset Greta. This could be a terrifying thing. Stop! child bashing buck she's 17 almost 18 when she's 18 can we actually just make fun of how ridiculous the whole thing is without anyone saying stop child bashing i like kids although i'm gonna tell you this right now i did get to fly bernie sanders style in business class by the bill marshall i will give them credit at least they treat their guests well they make you get in a plane for six hours they do put you in business class which is like i never fly in business class i always am in the middle seat in the back of economy with somebody eating a big smelly sandwich of some kind next to me and i'm always sitting next to a kid that doesn't want to be on the plane he's just like kicking the chair and bouncing around like bah, 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 you know and i'm like i don't want to be that guy i don't want to be that childless unmarried guy that starts to like Get frustrated and lose is cool. That's why I always bring uh, noise-canceling headphones. Yes, producer Mark. It sounds like you just don't plan well. What do you mean? I can't help that it's I sit next to kids that are loud. 2020, you can pick an aisle seat, a window seat. Oh, no, that's on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's But I always end up sitting next to the loudest child on the plane. This is a special gift. My brothers yeah. actually laugh. If we go into a restaurant together, as we often do here in New York City, and I have two brothers close to my age, uh, and they came out with me to the Bill Maher Show because they're my cavalry. They're awesome. Um if we, whenever we go to a restaurant, if there is a family with a, with a child who's unruly, I'm cool with, with kids. I like children. I'm not the grouch, but or the Grinch, the grouch, either one. Mm. Uh, but if there's a loud child in a public place, he will, like a, like a heat-seeking missile, get right up in Buck's universe. Sure. It always happens. It happens to me, too. And you I say so? it's on the parents. Well, of course it's on the parents. Don't bring kids Two restaurants, especially at night. So here's so here's what I had on on the flight on the flight back, and you know it's rare. It's like a special treat for me to fly in business class because you know I don't have that kind of cash flow. But if somebody else is paying for the ticket, hey, you know. So I'm, I'm in business class, and I'm thinking it's going to be like this fantastic. And, and the seat right next to me, there's a, there's a husband and wife, look like a very nice couple, but I think they had four children, right, oh. that were on the flight. And here's what they here's what they did. Now the kids were seated back in economy. Oh. They're up in, in business class right next to me, the two parents. But guess what? During the flight, they decide that the four kids from economy are going to pile up into business class. Oh, no. And, like, crawling on the parents, throwing a ball to each other, oh. yelling and screaming. And, like, yeah, I, I went with noise-canceling headphones. Other people there did, too. But I'm looking at them. I'm like, guys, come on. You know what I mean? Like The flight people, attendant let it happen? Oh, they! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, could you? If you if you are seen as like if you're the anti-family person in, in today's oh no, you know I would have said something. You would have said in something. In a second, yeah. I see. That's why I need to travel with producer Mark. Even though you didn't pay something. for it, I would have been like, listen, I paid for a business class seat. 
This is ridiculous. Yeah, no, they were way, they were way, they were way out of line. They were way out of line. People, I would have owned that airline. Yeah, yeah, no, people. I don't, I don't know what it is. Manners in decline around the world and in this Mm -hmm. country for sure. Manners are in decline. People in public spaces that they think the device, device etiquette is the single worst thing. That's where people right now. I want to throw it out the window. Yeah, you know, there's actually a campaign in New York City. Uh, we, we could pull up the audio uh, probably for people so they can hear it, where they've there's a no idling campaign. I saw that. And they've got Billy Idol of yeah. Rebel Yell fame yeah. who's doing ads for no idling. Have you seen this? It's clever. Yeah. Stupid. He's but like, hey, everybody, don't leave your car on. It's not cool to idle. Did you see they're actually giving out rewards for reporting people that idle? No, I did not. Like cash that. rewards. That's awesome. Yeah. This is what needs to happen. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, it starts to feel a little bit like the Stasi's running the country when we're reporting on each other for little things. But quality of life stuff, you know, when all of a sudden you incentivize people to, you know, you know what I what I hate are people that uh, that really egregiously double park on very crowded roadways and like key or you know, you'll be going down six the most crowded street in New York City. You'll be going down in Midtown Manhattan and it's just packed, and somebody will just leave there. You know, leave their, their. I'm not talking about delivery vehicles. I mean, that's kind of like we accept that if we want deliveries, we got. I'm talking about people just leave their car if they're double parked. Yeah. Towed. No ticket. Towed. Out. It's Hundreds. Midtown Manhattan. A tow truck's not going to be able to get there quick enough. But, the, but what I'm saying is, if you, if somebody would call the tow truck uh, and they got a bounty for the, because that person's making, he's stealing time from hundreds, if not thousands, of other people. It's a little bit like when I get on the subway now four times a day, which is insane. Uh, and the people that, that will hold the door open for their friends, I'm not saying we should electric shock those doors, but I'm not saying we shouldn't. You don't do that. <laughs> Come on. No, bud. the electric shock is fine. You don't hold the oh, door. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's anymore. what I'm saying. You got a little jolt. Like, I'm not, I don't want to fry anybody. Like, like, everyone's been there where you're running, the train's coming, and the door just closed. You stick your hand no, in. No, that's a, that's a that's different. Okay. That's, you get caught in it. You, that, that's like that's like yeah, tie goes to the runner. You the, the I'm talking open, to people yeah. that go, you know, hey, Bob, like, hurry up. And they yeah. hold the door oh, while no. their friend is running down the stairs. Those people need to yeah. get need There's to get videos something. of people inside the train kicking those people, like oh, just to oh. get them out so the door can close. Oh, I mean that's that's totally legitimate. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're you're holding other people hostage to your own bad behavior. Yes. I do not accept this. So look, as the dude says in the Big Lebowski, this is not nom. There are rules, and I think that there should be rules here. So I I don't know. We we got a few. We got a whole thing, a whole series of things we need to work on, and I could not believe. That I was sitting there for like this Captain Kangaroo session of like kids jumping around and stuff in business class, no less, which I never get to fly. It's like a suit. I'm not Bernie Sanders. I don't get to roll in first class all the time or on a private plane, by the way. Uh, you know, it was, it was my whole business class experience was not what it should have otherwise been. Although I do have noise canceling headphones. It doesn't help that much. doesn't help that much because like screaming next to you, you'll still hear the yeah, screams and everything else. And also just, you know, kids like they wave their arms around. They're like throwing things. They're running up and down, running up and down the aisles on the plane. I can't believe the flight attendants. Flight attendants let them run wild. I'm telling you. They didn't, I they can't didn't do believe a thing. That. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was crazy. So I'm just trying to tell everybody. We all need. We all need to be. Manners are important. It's really the 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 linchpin of civilization. Manners day to day. You know, how do we treat each other? Are we respectful? Are we polite? Anyway, I don't even know. What I was talking about Bernie Sanders and climate change, wasn't I? Oh, the plastic bag ban. We got on that, and then I got completely sidetracked. Oh, 
Underestimated severity of this. Yeah, we're not underestimating the severity of climate change and also the the climate. So that's just crazy because they're saying we're all going to die. How do you underestimate the severity of we're all going to die soon? I mean, this. Oh, instead of in, we're going to be on in, in a path we cannot fix in 10 years, it's going to be eight years, it's going to be six years. I don't know how anybody believes this. I, I don't understand. You know, I tell you when things are scary, like pandemic disease is actually scary and we have to be worried about climate change is not. It's not. I don't know what is wrong with these people. I don't know what has to go through their brains so they can understand the people telling you this are wrong over and over. What they're saying doesn't even make sense, and they do not change their own personal behavior in response to what they say is an extinction-level event for humankind. It's crazy. When I can get my dream beach house on Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket at you know half price, which I wouldn't have enough money for that. It'd have to be like one one millionth the price, but... When I can see the huge cut rates on on that, then I would all of a sudden say, all right, maybe, maybe people are taking this seriously, but they're not. It's all it's all virtue signaling. It's all crap. His point about climate refugees, though, I thought was even more important. Now, you'll, you'll hear more and more about this. Climate refugee talking about climate refugees is a way of saying uh, that because of the weather, we should engage in a, a global socialism. And I know that seems like it's a little bit of a leap. It's not a leap at all. Uh, we should engage in a global socialism because the first world is responsible according to the climate catastrophe. We need a better name for them, by the way, like the Looney Greens or something. We, we need a better name. What do we say? Because they said, do you believe in climate change? They have climate denier for us. Climate catastrophist. It's a little bit too much of a mouthful. We need a better name for people who are so easily fooled and swindled that they really think that the world is going to end unless we adopt the, the economic and climate policies advocated by the, you know by AOC and Bernie Sanders and, and others. Uh, so we do we do, we need to work on that for one, but also the refugee anyone who moves from where they are around the world now, the first world is under this view that Sanders is advocating is inherently responsible. So if there's a drought, if there's a famine, if something, if there's an earthquake, anything bad that happens anywhere is in the mind of these climate loons attributable to the development of the first world and the CO2 emissions from the developed world. And so we owe it to them to pay them money. That's that's part of the of the global Marxism here. We owe to, you know, we should pay effectively climate reparations to them. This is real. They talk about this. You can look this up. This is a thing that's out there. Democrats buy into it. Or at least they pretend to. They say they do but also that we have to take them into this country. So anyone from any uh, desperate region of the world that suffers some catastrophe, some calamity, it's not now that we take them in as refugees because we're good people and we, we want to be helpful and thoughtful to our fellow human beings. It's we owe them. We have to take them in because the reason there's, you know, uh, forest fires in this place or the reason there's drought in that place anywhere in the world is all of the human productivity that has brought us to the greatest living standards uh, of any uh, at any time in human history that is the reason for all these bad things happening elsewhere and so we're responsible for that and so we have to make amends for that and the way we make amends for it is by bringing them into this country that's what 
is going on. That's what they're telling us we have to do now. Um, this is crazy, but this is mainstream Democrat thinking now. I mean, even even Bloomberg runs around uh, talking about this. Even Bloomberg will say that this is something that needs to be dealt with, needs to be handled right away. I, I'm just I'm stunned by the the sheer idiocy of so many of these climate change catastrophist positions. And it's troubling to me, you know, we, we'd like to think that we've defeated the authoritarian impulse in the developed and modern world we're in, at least in the West. We haven't, not at all. In fact, it's on the rise. And there's a, a confidence among the statist authoritarian left that should be a reminder to all of us that they're not gone. In fact, you can make a very clear case that the socialists, the Marxists, the uh, one world government authoritarians, they're actually on the rise. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. President Trump. What is there not to love? He's a fighter. Number one, he's a fighter. He has the Democrats on the run. They don't know what to do with him. Never have we had a Republican that the Democrats cannot mess with. He fights them at their level and wins every time. Trump's never lost. He didn't lose in the Republican primary. All the, the what? Russian collusion, the Ukrainian, the emoluments clause, all of that stuff they threw at him didn't stick. And so we love him. He didn't have to do this. He's 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 got a successful life. He didn't have to do this for. Him. But you know, you love your country. You don't want to see you know your country turn socialist. You don't want to see liberals take over your country and turn it into something. Keep on fighting, sir. We're back behind you all the way. Never will we never will forsake you. We will never forsake you because you're for us, and that means. A lot. It means a lot. That is a Trump supporter uh, named Raymond, who was at a Trump rally, African American Trump supporter. I believe he had a, a MAGA hat uh, on. And I, I think that he really encapsulates the feeling that so many of us have at this point, which is what they've put this president through, the stuff they've thrown at him is, is unbelievable. And he's still in there, still fighting. You know, he, he doesn't. He doesn't decide that it's too much. We had all these people that claim to have such close access to Trump, too. I think Scaramucci said that by March of 2020, the president was going to leave office. You know, like, like that guy knows anything. I mean, there's look, the president picks the, a lot of the worst people, at least he did in the early days, to be around him, which is a shame because some of the biggest missteps of his presidency were just the people that he trusted and put in positions of authority around him. Uh, they were. They were stunningly bad decisions uh, still. And even the president admits this. So I love when people go, oh, Buck, don't, don't say that about Trump. Trump says it. OK, we all know this. This is reality. This is not I, this isn't my opinion. I'm beating up on the president unfairly. I think the president does a lot of things fantastically. But this is an area where he's been very weak. But the the fight, the fire that he has in the belly uh, to continue on and that they've never to this day. I know why he says that the Ukraine phone call was perfect, even if he knows that it probably was a little bit – he gave them an opening he shouldn't have. I don't think he did anything wrong, but he could have been more careful. He says it's perfect because he's not hes not going to bend the knee one inch, not going to back off. He knows these crazy libs. He knows what they stand for and who they are and how they play the game. And, you know, you see what we – the old republicanism – and I don't mean really old. I mean, the, you know, Republicanism until Trump was Romney and McCain and people who bent the knee all the time. 
in the name in the name of reaching across the aisle. Yeah, just sell out our side. Get a nice editorial written about us in the New York Times before they trash us again next week. God bless Trump for not falling into that. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. First of all, I, I want to talk to my Republicans. First of all, stay the hell out of our race. Stay the hell out of our race. I get sick and tired, Ed. Uh, and Sandra, of listening to Republicans tell me and the Democrats about our process. First of all, they don't have a process. They're canceling primaries. They have winner-take-all. They don't have the kind of democracy that we see on the Democratic side. And for people to use Russian talking points to sow division among Americans, that is stupid. So, Rana, go to hell. This is not about... No, go to hell. I'm tired of it, Ed. We're not... We're not trying to prevent anyone from becoming the nominee. If you have the delegates and win, you will win. This notion that somehow or another Democrats are out there trying to put hurdles or roadblocks before one candidate, that's stupid. I know what's going on. They are, they are scared of Democrats coming together to defeat Donald Trump. I don't know. It sounds like some prominent Democrats are a little touchy about the whole Bernie Sanders coup situation. (laughs) That was a former DNC chair, I believe, uh, and current Fox News commentator Donna Brazile, formerly of CNN before she leaked a debate question to Hillary Clinton to help her beat Bernie Sanders. So there's that. Uh, But we got my man Jesse Kelly. He is of the Jesse Kelly show on radio on Pluto TV. I'm right with Jesse Kelly is his show. He also had my single favorite tweet today, which I'm actually going to read because that's that's how good I think it is for all of you to hear. People saying that Warren should come to an agreement with Biden and drop out don't seem to realize how understandably hesitant Warren must be to sign a treaty with anyone. Jesse Kelly, everybody. <laughs> that was Jesse, by the way. I was I was drinking my Black Rifle coffee this morning, having having a muffin, and I, I basically choked on it when I read the tweet. So thank you. <laughs> Sometimes you're never sure if it's too subtle, but if you hit just that sweet spot, that's where you know you got it. And I knew that would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I when, when Elizabeth Warren answered once a question in one of the debates about Afghanistan, I was like, everybody should listen to her because she's clearly an expert in tribal warfare. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like I feel like about half the people got it and half the people were like what do you mean does she does she serve on the armed services committee or something I was like nope it's not really what we're talking about all right Jesse um you know we got it's super Tuesday day and you know you're down there in Texas first of all Ber- Bernie is supposed to win that Democrat primary right what the heck is wrong with Democrats in Texas I know you're not a Democrat but you are a Texan well, here's what happens. It's kind of the same thing that's happening in places like California, too. People think that Texas is blood red. I mean, it's red. It's not blood red. But when you're in a state that's usually one color, the party of the opposition is way more rabid than normal. Like, we all love to make fun of Californians. I mean, who doesn't love that as a pastime? The truth is the most bloodthirsty conservatives you'll ever meet in your life are in California because they're stuck in this blue state hell that they can't escape. And the Democrats are the same way here. That's why they're more radicalized. That's why they love Bernie. Well, it's true about me as a conservative in Manhattan. People are always like, I don't understand how you are the way you are. I'm like, imagine 
understanding the world and reality and history and being surrounded with virtue signaling childish lunatics all the time. And and you have me. <laughs> like that's it makes sense, actually, when you break it down that way. So uh, what do you say? You know, that we started off with with Donna Brazil getting very getting very testy, uh, you know, telling the she told Ronna McDaniel uh, uh, Romney. I guess we've dropped the Romney part, by the way, that happened. Um, we, we've told uh, we've been we, she told her to, to actually to go to hell. Uh, this was all about the Trump tweet about the anti Bernie coup. I don't understand. We're all supposed to believe that just suddenly all these Democrats drop out right before Super Tuesday and there's no be. We're not saying they broke rules necessarily to do this, although they did let they did change the rules to let Bloomberg into debates, by the way. Uh, But it seems to me like, of course, there were some backroom deals. Oh, of course there are. I, I honestly, Buck, and I have to tell you, and I think it's precious, but I don't have a soul or anything like that, so I don't have to deal with it. But when I saw even some people on the right talk about how they thought it was really awesome how Buttigieg was just putting his party over himself, but he's just, you know, selflessly out there giving, get serious, people. Stop being a child. These people all struck deals, if not formally, then informally. They're all bucking to be the next VP or want to be the next Secretary of State. Buttigieg is a 38-year-old who tried to go from being mayor of South Bend to the most powerful man on the planet. Do you think he all of a sudden got less ambitious? No. The DNC and a bunch of big donors rounded them all up, made a bunch of promises. We'll back your next run. We'll do this. Maybe you'll be VP. And they all fell right in line just in time. And it's hilarious listening to people like Donna Brazell get defensive about it because everybody knows why she's defensive of course they're trying to screw bernie every step of the way the whole public can watch them screwing over bernie and it's adorable watching them try to hide it is kind of funny isn't it like this is something that if you've been paying attention to american politics for the last four years you know that the people that are in power in the democratic party don't because remember it's not just bernie i think everyone needs to understand this you know and, and this is important to emphasize it's the it's the whole apparatus that Bernie would bring in. Bernie would want different consultants. Bernie would want different people in the cab. You know, Bernie would be this shift away from the Democrat power structure that exists even under a Republican presidency. Well, in the same way, and and look, I know your listeners are going to freak out when I say this, so let me explain. Bernie is really similar to Trump in that way, and that all systems really just are engineered to have the system continue on doing the same old, same old. The reason Trump has seen such a massive backlash from the bureaucracy and all these people is he's a shock from the system. He has a new way of doing things, and systems hate that. That's exactly the reason they would hate Bernie, too. Hillary Clinton came out and said it. No one's ever worked with him. Nobody likes to work with him. He never plays ball. He would be such a shock to the system. That that's why he's getting such a backlash now. That all the all these you know all the good old boy network it all goes away if someone like Bernie gets in. And look, that's part of his appeal. I hate the guy, but that's part of his appeal. Yeah, I will say this: Democrats who talk so much about how they want change and they want things to be different and all the rest, it's fascinating how quickly they'll say, "Actually, let's go back to the eight years of the Obama administration." It's like, well, how you know? I, I thought we wanted radical transformation. What what happened here, folks? You know, Bernie uh, Bernie clearly. Uh, represents that for them. Do you think, though, uh, you know, depending on how the Super Tuesday votes come out, looks like Bernie is going to be in the lead when it comes to delegates. So isn't he still the front runner, or, or do we just assume, okay, the Biden fix is in, so it doesn't even matter what the Super Tuesday delegate count is? 
I don't know if there's a Biden fix or a Bloomberg fix, because Bloomberg has bought a lot of favors in the Democrat Party. But Bernie right now, Bernie Sanders is, and I'm not calling him a Nazi, everybody, so calm down. Bernie Sanders is the Wehrmacht invading Russia. The clock is ticking, and he had better win and better win real, real, real shortly, because the longer the race goes on, He's screwed. Winter is coming, and to use a Game of Thrones word, what I'm saying is if he it goes to the convention, I don't care whether he has the most delegates or not, he's not coming out of that convention as the nominee. Yeah, so he, he had better have a big night tonight and a bunch of other big nights between now and the convention because if he's not already the nominee, he's toast. Yeah, he has to he has to lock it up. I agree because if it, if it comes to any kind of deal making, brokered convention, any of that stuff, no way, Bernie Sanders. They'll maybe they'll offer him some kind of a position in whatever the Democrat administration is or something. But there's no way that Bernie Sanders is the nominee if he doesn't go into Milwaukee this summer as the nominee. I just don't see it. It's not possible. And what's what's bad for the Democrat Party? And honestly, I mean, while I'll enjoy making fun of their disastrous convention. It'll be bad for the country, too, because Bernie's supporters, let's be honest about this, they're more prone to violence than other supporters of other candidates, both Democrats and Republicans. And they're crazy. And they've already been told. Bernie bros are the worst, are the worst. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but Bernie bros, the, the real hardcore followers of Bernie Sanders um, are the worst of any major political candidate in the United States. Well, there's no question. And they've already been caught on video with that Project Veritas stuff saying they're going to burn down Milwaukee. They're going to burn down the country. Now, a lot of that's just, you know, hyperbole. They don't have the ability to do a lot of that stuff. But there's going to be some kind of riots. There's going to be, hopefully not, but I bet you somebody is going to get hurt if Bernie does not get the nomination at that convention. So it'll be fun to make fun of him for a while. But I actually do worry about some people's safety if he doesn't get it. They're going to lose their minds. We had a, a surprise last night on on TV. Uh, Chris Matthews, I don't know if you picked up on this yet or not, Jesse, but you know Chris Matthews stepped down. Uh, this comes after over 20 years. And he was one of these guys who I would just say, why, why do they keep why does this guy get to keep his job? Like he's, he's not he doesn't seem very bright. He kind of just yells all the time. He used to be somewhat I think wasn't he I don't know, maybe that's Ed Schultz. I was going to say used to be a Republican, but no, that's Ed Schultz. But whatever. And the point is, the guy's old, he yells, and apparently this is where you know things ran on the rocks for him. Uh, he said some stuff to some women about how they were attractive, and he was done. Like, he quit mid-show last night. Did you see it? I did see it. And, and, I mean, without knowing the circumstances of it, it's just one of those things these days where everybody's head is on a chopping block for saying anything. Look, maybe it was totally warranted that he quit and got run out. I don't know what level of harassment it was. If it was, if it was telling a woman she looks good, let's hope that didn't do it. But if he's actually sexually harassing somebody, then goodbye and see you later. You know, it's just one of those things. Yeah, we don't. Without knowing the details, you can't really, you can't really assess it. I just thought it was funny. I, I haven't seen. A, a situation where somebody on a on a cable news broadcast was like, I'm done, and just he just left. <laughs> it was. I wonder how much he planned it or how much he told him. He was just straight up walking off. I guess I don't know how live they actually filmed that show, but I mean, look, that's quite a sign off. But it's in the end, the guy's been there forever. The truth is, he probably cut a nice backroom deal with a nice little seven figure severance package, and he's riding off into the sunset. 
and he'll ride it out for another year or two, and then he'll be back as a guest analyst, and then slowly back as a host. Who, who do you it who do you find changes. who who do you find the most? Uh, or actually, here's the be- the best way to ask this: is of the libs who have shows, uh, news shows of any kind, who do you find the worst? Who's the worst for you? Brian Stelter. And he's easy, he's easy to pick on, but here's the reason why. Like, I don't mind. I've never minded Rachel Maddow. I've never even minded Chris Matthews. No, I think guy. Rachel Maddow's honest about, about who she is. So, you know, yeah, she's upfront yeah, about being a big liberal, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, she's she's the leftist. All right. I don't pretend to be down the middle. What bothers me about people like Stelter is when they, well, I know, we're just— we're just doing the news. We're just doing journalism while they rattle off the same talking points that only the leftists like Maddow say. At least be honest about who you are. I never go on my TV show and tell everybody I'm some journalist who's just calling balls and strikes. I'm not. I'm trying to screw over the Democrat Party every single day and help my party. Yeah, me too. So there we go. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, I think you, you, for me it has to be someone at CNN because – that place is just it's so dishonest and there's such a it's just all rooted in a lie now that they're not a a get trump operation top to bottom i mean everything about that place now is is anti-trump so i always wonder like if i if i had to pick the single i mean the worst of all time i think is keith olbermann though just because he's a horrible human being as well as like a total propagandist um but you know over at cnn i think i don't know for me it's probably it's either lemon or tapper and they're very different but those are for me. Those are the two worst, because you have like well, smug, you have like smug fraud who is vicious behind the scenes, but pretends to be like a knight who cares so much about the troops all the time with tra- with Tapper. Please, it's all it's all Tapper brand building. And then you have Don Lemon, who's just who's just really dumb. I mean, President well, Trump says that Don Lemon is is a dumb guy. Speaking of Don Lemon, let me give everybody who's listening a little behind the scenes. When you do television shows and somewhat radio shows, but definitely television shows, your blocks are numbered. Like before the first commercial break, that's A block. And then they'll sell one B block, so on and so forth. And your A block is your most important block. It's your most watched block. Everybody knows this. This is just kind of inside baseball TV stuff. Don Lemon is so inept at television that Chris Cuomo holds over after his show to do Don Lemon's A block with him every single day or at least every single time i've seen it and i know that's way inside baseball but people have to understand how telling that is on how inadequate they know don lemon is he can't even carry his own a block jesse kelly can carry all of his blocks you should check him out on the jesse kelly show now in syndication on radio also on podcast mr jesse kelly thanks for making the time see you my brother you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Let me start with my headline tonight. I'm retiring. This is the last hardball on MSNBC. And obviously, this isn't for lack of interest in politics. As you can tell, I've loved every minute of my 20 years as host of Hardball. Every morning I read the papers and I'm gung-ho to get to work. Not many people have had this privilege. I love working with my producers and the discussions we have over how to report the news. And I love having this connection with you, the good people who watch. Last night. Well, it was his last night last night. That was Chris Matthews. I have no idea what happened. I met Chris Matthews once at a at a fancy D.C. cocktail party. Those things do exist. I was at one. I met Chris Matthews. I happened to be invited to one by a uh, by well by a date. Uh, but I was there and I met him and uh, 
he's one of these guys who was just he was in the game a long time. I think, you know, he probably started to miss a step in the last few years because I just he would just go on TV and say really dumb stuff. I think the single most famous phrase he ever uttered was the thrill up the leg. Right. About Obama winning. Um, You know, people like him that you get you get comfortable with certain media personalities. And then I think you don't even really judge them anymore based on their performance. That's that's just a common a common thing. Uh, people who have been listening to certain people for a very long time don't care when the show gets bad. They watch somebody for a very long time. They don't care when the show has really ceased to be worthwhile. Uh, that's just true across the news media. Uh, I don't know why he got pushed out other than there were these they said that there are comments that he made about about women. And I just can't help but notice that Joy Reid still has a job at MSNBC and is is treated very well there as on as on air regularly. And Joy Reid wrote homophobic stuff on her blog and then claimed that people, this was real, claimed that people hacked into her blog to write the homophobic stuff to get her in trouble and that she was going to ask the FBI to investigate. She still has a job. Chris Matthews, now Chris Matthews was close to retirement anyway, and, you know, I understand that. Chris Matthews does not have a job anymore. And I'm not crying any tears for the guy. You know, he's made millions and millions and millions of dollars to do something that he's really just lucky. He was lucky to be in the right place at the right time and just kind of ride the wave as long as he did. Uh, never found him to be an impressive guy. I, I do not understand why anybody would turn to him for analysis of anything. But again, it's just, yeah, I'm Chris Matthews, I'm loud, I yell, blah, blah. you know, it's just the, you know, I'm, I'm here in D.C., I'm talking fast, and I seem like I know things, and I got connections, you know, just, I don't know. Some people seem to think that that means that he knows something. Uh, but he's 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 gone, and there's certainly a some at some level there's a bit of a um, a me too uh, me too component to this. I just wish we had a better. If we're going to assess, I mean, also, do we really care? That's why it's the end of the show. I'm mentioning this. I mean, the answer is no. We don't really care. But uh, you know, I think it's interesting to see how people just take it for granted. On the, on the one side, you have those who see this as a inherently as a victory. Another white male fired from his job for comments about women. And there are other people like me who just want to know, okay, well, if we're going to celebrate this, can we know what was going on here? Or do we just have to now celebrate? Somebody loses their job or is pushed out, and it has to do with comments, not actual physical touching or anything criminal, comments to women, and we can't know the comments, and we're supposed to celebrate it? Anyway, I'm not going to miss Chris Matthews. I never watched him. I thought his show was dumb, but this is what happened. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I, I meant to I meant to get to this right before roll call because uh, we actually have what happened. So Matthews, I wasn't watching this live. I saw the clips afterwards, but Chris Matthews bailed out on his show after he did this whole monologue about why he's leaving and how great people were, but how also you know he said he was sorry. He bent the knee. He bent the knee. Uh, he bent the knee on this one. I don't know if I, I don't know what he did, so I can't say if it was a good idea or not. But usually, you don't want, only bend the knee if you think you actually did wrong. Maybe he did do wrong. I don't know. But Steve Kornacki, who's another M- younger MSNBC host, uh, he he was left like holding the bag. He's left like, wait a second. They just switched to him in the newsroom. There, he wasn't even supposed to do a show. Play clip nineteen. Um, that was a lot to take in just now. I'm sure, and I'm sure you're still. Um, absorbing that, and and I am too. Um, Chris Matthews is a giant. He's a legend. Um, it's been an honor for me 
to work with him, uh, to sit in here on occasion. Uh, and I know how much you meant to him, and I know my, how much he meant to you. And I think you're going to miss him, and I know I'm going to. Um, we're not going to have any bells or whistles here. We do have to fill the rest of this hour. We're going to take a quick break and come back with today's news. Yeah, it's usually not what you say. We have to fill the rest of this hour. But I look, I get it. I mean, I've, I've been in the position. I remember once during Glenn Beck's radio show, he was in Dallas and I was in New York. And I was already hosting my own you know, little show at this point. It's now grown into a big show. But I was hosting my own little baby show. And uh, the for some reason, Glenn's, uh, they were, the show was being you know, fired out to all the affiliates from New York, and they lost the uplink to Dallas, and they grabbed me. I mean, actually, like, put a hand on my shoulder and were like, come here. And they pulled me into the radio studio with 30, and they're like, you got to just go for 10 or 15 minutes here while we figure. So I just hopped in on Glenn's show. I just started doing radio in the middle, <laughs> middle of Glenn's syndicated program because they lost the uplink, and, you know, it was better than running canned audio, they figured. It was pretty funny. I did fine, of course. But I didn't even, I have notes. I don't even know what Glenn was talking about. It's like, yes! America, a very good place to be, says I, filling in temporarily for the moment for the great Glenn Beck here on the, this was, I don't know, maybe this was six, seven years ago now. Uh, That was a fun one. All right, roll call time. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. show ain't over yet folks keeping it real it's time for roll call roll call everybody that's right Everyone assemble for the roll call. It's time. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Um, let us get to it. Eric, first up here on roll call. Hey, Buck, during roll call, you and producer Mark were balking at the $150 fine for a red light ticket. Here in Southern California, a red light ticket will run you $600. The cheapest moving violation will run you about $350. The actual violation is about $35 to $50, and the rest is penalty assessments that are kept by the court. It's a scam, but I guess that's par for the course for the People's Republic of California. Keep up the good work. Shields high. $600? How do people live in that state? I well, I mean, it's so beautiful, and the weather is so great, but it's horribly run, and it's falling apart. It really is. All I had to do was see the gas prices, like four fifty a gallon. It's crazy. I was like, no. Yeah, never man, moving I, look, I was just out there. The traffic in L.A. is so bad now that people don't even really... They just sort of don't even try to game it or get around it. They're just like, I got to go. I'm going to sit in traffic. Got to go when I got to go because there's traffic all the time. And they don't have public transportation, really, do they? No. No, yeah. there's some light rail from Santa Monica that takes you down to, I think, the West Hollywood or somewhere like that. But no, not really. Uh. And and public transportation wouldn't even really. You need such a massive system because L.A., as it has been explained to me by Los Angelinos, uh, is really many cities connected together. It's really different cities. And when you think sure. of it that way, it makes more sense. Uh, it's insane to me to think that people live there with that much traffic, that much cost. I, yeah. I don't. I, don't I mean, understand. but it was what is it now? It was like the end of February, and it was 
78 degrees when I was there. I mean, on that, Saturday. that's the benefit. Right. That's why people, you walk around, you don't have to worry about being cold. You and I get used to just being freezing yes. cold sometimes here. And just know? the room we're in is And we're not freezing. even like Minnesotans who, like, it gets Minnesota cold is like, oh, yeah. gosh, it's cold. Oh, yeah. I got you know? lucky the only time I was in Minneapolis, it didn't snow and it wasn't that cold. Dude, I don't know. In Minneapolis, thank God, it's like some of the nicest people yeah. on God's green or as the case may be, snowy earth, uh, because it's really, man, you're up there. I remember being up there in August, and I'm like, you guys, it's nighttime, and I need, like, a ski jacket. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. It's August. It is What's a nice going town, on? though. Oh, it's great. No, I, lo- I, do, just, I, lo- I love Minnesota. I used to go I used to huh. go there every summer. But uh, I just think it's, you know, you got to have a really good idea. You know, people from Minnesota, people from Buffalo, people from Michigan, you know, they got to deal with the cold, man. It gets cold up They're there. not Canadians, Buck. I mean, they're pretty close to Canada. They are, but, like, you're giving them the Canadian accent. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Someone from Minneapolis will write in and tell us if that's fair or not. We'll see. We'll see. I always think of the mom from Bobby's World. Uh, they do love hockey there. They do love their hockey. Yeah. It's true. Uh, Sarah. Hey, Buck. My fiancé, who's a two-tour combat vet, has loved you and your show for years. I listen on occasion, but just recently really got into your show. I used to think your show's beginning said, decode what really matters with actual intelligence, not actionable. I think both work. Yeah, I think you're right. Anyways, we have a five-year-old son named Harlan who also joined the Shields High movement. He requests to listen to you over music all the time. The other day, I gave his dad a hug in front of him. His response... How dare you in the infamous Buck impersonation of Greta Thunberg. I don't think I've ever been more proud. Shields high. <laughs> That's awesome. That makes me really happy. Five-year-old, five-year-old knows. How dare you? Uh, well, Harlan, you are awesome. So Shields high to you, man, and, and high five. And uh, that's right. At least we picked up that from, from Greta. Spencer. Hey, Buck, love the show as always. I'm getting a little terrified of a Sanders presidency. My friend's list is full of people spouting the we're the only industrial country without national health care nonsense. I try to get them to see reason, but they are blind to it and don't want to see. Can the Republicans manage to get something proposed to at least counter the narrative? If there's no proposal before 2020 and the economy is no longer humming, I'm worried. Keeping my shield high in Arizona. Thank you for all you do. P.S. Mark is great, too. Avengers is overrated. I think producer Mark's going to take the split on that one. He's okay with that. Yeah, exactly. He's, he calls that a wash. As long as you like him, you can dislike Avengers. Because he means you have some good taste. Uh, as for Bernie Sanders and the presidency, well, look... Right now, you got to think that, I mean, the, the betting odds have gone back to Biden. You know, after his candidacy seemed like it was just fading away into nothing, um, you got a, a Biden candidacy that is now very much, you can't call him the front. Look, it's going to be burden or Bi- <laughs> burden. It's going to be Bernie or Biden. It will be a burden on us either way. But, uh, yeah, that's that's where we are. So can the Republicans manage to get something proposed to at least counter the narrative about national health care. You know, you raise a very good point. Republicans are not do not have strong messaging on health care right now. Our, our messaging is mostly the Democrat health care is bad. Uh, what the Democrats want to do with Medicare for all is bad. And as I keep saying, Medicare for all is not even an accurate description of what it would be. It would be much more expensive and much more expansive uh, than Medicare currently is. So, yeah. 
I don't I don't know where they are on this on the healthcare narrative. We keep hearing, oh, we're going to make it more free market and we're going to work to get drug prices down. They've done a little bit of stuff. The administration's done some things to get drug prices down, but I don't think anybody would would be able to listen to the story that this is that we're you know free market and healthcare, more free market and healthcare now, and they got rid of the penalty for the individual mandate. I don't know. Where are Republicans on healthcare? Where's the Trump plan? We don't have one. We should. They're going to need one. Pam, I heard about this idling law in NYC, and they said if a citizen reports, they can collect a portion of the fine. So it is quite ironic. They want citizens to report idling vehicles and snitch on them, but they also want them to hide illegals from ICE. It is insane. They don't even see their own contradictions. Pam, good call. Uh, you know, the, the California state legislature has passed all these laws, for example, that put you in a in legal jeopardy if as a private business, as a private citizen, you try to work with ICE that in any way goes beyond, you know, what they claim are the rights of illegal aliens. So, you know, they, they have all these uh, restrictions put in place to help illegal aliens at the expense of people that want to help enforce the law. Although idling, I, I tell you this, if you're if you've ever had the situation where you think you're going to take like a nice nap, because I've lived on the ground floor in New York City apartments. I've lived on the second floor in New York City apartments. So I've been close to the street idling car. I, I don't know if everyone else. I mean, like if you get a a uh, person that's idling in a truck or idling in a large SUV that there's like a reverb from it. And it's actually annoying. Uh, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I can hear it. You know, I think idling. So I'm I'm not anti-idling for the environment, whatever. I'm anti-idling because I don't like the noise. I'm anti-noise pollution, big time. I hate noise pollution. Uh, Jake. Hey, Buckster. OSS here started right after you got a daily show at The Blaze. Thank you, Jake. Love your show. It is a highly anticipated part of my five days a week. I haven't heard so much discussion about this, but shouldn't the Trump administration get some props for creating a U.S. economic environment which is friendly to manufacturing in advance of the coronavirus. One market reaction to the virus is to question China's reliability for bearing so much of our manufacturing, but Trump's policies have proven to bring a lot of manufacturing back to our shores already. The policy seems pretty prescient now. Jake, first of all, thank you so much for being with me and being OSS for these many years. We actually will play a clip in response to uh, to your question, because I think the president, producer Mark, would you play clip eight? The president addressed this. The corona virus shows the importance of bringing manufacturing back to America so that we are producing at home the medicines and equipment and everything else that we need to protect the public's health. And I've been talking about this for a long time. That process has already started. It started long before we ever knew about this. Uh, we want to make certain things at home. We want to be doing our manufacturing at home. It's not only done in China. It's done in many other places, including Ireland. And a lot of places make our different uh, uh, drugs and things that we need so badly. And it's not good to be... Uh, dealing with one or two or three countries, and we do very little at home, and we're going to start doing it at home, and we've been talking about that for a long time. And a lot of the uh, drug companies, because of what we've done in terms of incentives and taxes, they're heading back here anyway. Jake, I think the leader of the free world probably answered it best. Uh, he's been on this. You're correct that 
he should get some credit for trying to bring home more domestic manufacturing. And, you know, we do want to be in a place where for essential capacity, we are able to just get those get those assembly lines running here and not have critical supply chain disruption on a glo- on a global scale cripple uh, domestic uh, commercial activity. So, but yeah, we have to work in it. I think that might be the first time we've been able to have a clip in response like that to roll call. So we're always innovating. If you're in a corporate boardroom these days, you got to say iterating. We've got to be iterating. I don't, I don't like that usage of the word, but people do it. Dennis, loyal listener from Utah. Monday night, I had a Biden supporter call me to remind me to go out and vote. After asking him why on earth I would vote for Biden when President Trump has done such an awesome job creating jobs and boosting our economy by cutting regulations, this guy tried to make the argument that it was Obama's economy and that Trump was terrible, of course. Thanks to you, I was able to open up a can of Freedom Hut whoop-ass, yeah, informed him quickly of how ridiculous his argument was and sent him back to his call list with his tail between his legs. You're the man. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Well, Dennis, I'm glad, man. You know, think of the, the Freedom Hut is like an is like a conservative intellectual ninja training facility, sort of like the one from the movie American Ninja, where for no apparent reason there are all these ninjas running around doing an obstacle course wearing brightly colored ninja suits, like blue and like orange and red. Why are they all wearing different colored suits? Made no sense. I, if you see that in this room, you need medical attention immediately. What? You just said that this is what the Freedom Hunt is like, all these people. No, but it's in your around. mind. It's, it's in the mind, yeah, I'm I saying. still think you need medical attention. That <laughs> may be true. I mean, if you're running a high fever and you're seeing ninjas in different colored outfits and you think it's the Freedom Hunt, yeah. I, I would Probably say- see a doctor. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm. If that lasts for more than four hours, call your doctor. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good rule of thumb, so to speak. Yeah. Um, where are we here? Uh, yeah, Dennis, I'm so glad that we, we got your skills to the point where your, your confidence in the political analysis game to the point where you could crush your enemies and hear the lamentations of their women. Uh, Julie, I quite frankly think you are very, very handsome, Buck Sexton. Just saying, go Freedom Hut. Thank you, Julie. That's very nice, considering producer Mark and I had to sift through dozens of messages saying, my name is stupid, my face is stupid, and I'm ugly, and I look like I've gained weight. You know, <laughs> was, was a, Mrs. Sexton, we appreciate you listening. Right, exactly. Yeah, that. yeah. My right, mom, yeah. My, my mom, a.k.a. Julie. Yeah. But no, thank you, Julie. That's very sweet of you, and uh, it, it is meaningful, and it's nice of you to say. Greg. Hey, Buck, I'd like to think I'm your biggest millennial fan. I never miss a show, and I always write in. Thank you for sharing my thoughts on Roll Call. I'm hoping Bernie Sanders doesn't get to be the nominee because he offers too much free stuff. As great as the economy is, my generation loves free stuff, and that really worries me. Trump can't compete with Santa Claus. And on another note, you and producer Mark's definition of emo from a past episode was not right. The real emo bands are My Chemical Romance, Silverstein, and Hawthorne Heights, just to name a few. Shields High. I don't know. I don't know. Greg. I'll give him that on My Chemical Romance. Yeah. They're definitely an emo. I actually band. like My Chemical Romance. Yeah. I think they've got What's some good wrong songs. With them? Yeah. Some of them actually work out too. Yeah, they're pretty good. You yeah. have a weird workout playlist. Oh, I do. Dude, I'm going to share it with you. You have Spotify, right? No. no we keep talking about this. Guy, you, yeah. you don't have. Oh, my gosh. Because you get it free. I yeah, understand. Exactly. All right. Because otherwise, I would share my Spotify. You know, Team Buck, I'll make my Spotify playlist public. How about that? Mm. So everybody can listen. You can all give me your thoughts on it. It's called Beast Mode because that's what we go to when we got a lift. Uh, yeah. We're going to end on that note today. 
If you haven't already, by the way, please do tell folks about the podcast. We did a, a breakdown of the numbers. We have doubled in one year our podcast downloads. We have no budget for promotion at all, folks. This is all you. Please tell somebody about the Buck Saxon Show, the single biggest, most wonderful favor you can do us. Get one person in your life to listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever, Spotify Podcasts, anywhere you want. Until next time, Shields High.